you take your Bibles and open it up to 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. If you're using a pew Bible, which is right underneath you, in front of you, um, it's found on page 1,439. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address as Father the One who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Now after a four-week interlude, we return to this great letter of First Peter. And our focus this morning is on verses 22 to 25. For those of you who are new with us this morning, we're moving since September through 1 Peter, and we have now arrived at verse 22. And the main central command in this text is found at the end of verse 22, namely, fervently love one another from your heart. And the main teaching of this unit, this text, is the relationship between hope and love. And the point is, the power to love comes from hoping in God. The power to love comes from hoping in God. That's what I think the main point of the text is this morning. But since it's been four weeks, and since I know we have numerous guests with us today, I feel like in order to feel the force of it, we've got to go back and get the big picture of chapter 1. So do that with me. If you want to follow along as I point you to various verses, fine. If you want to just listen, that's fine too. The main point of chapter 1 is God is working for your hope and therefore hope. Now let me try to show you. This chapter simply oozes with God's energy to create hope in his people. Verse 3 
sounds the note. God caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Being born again, that real common Christian reality that we talk about, being born again means becoming a kind of person who characteristically hopes in God. God raised Jesus from the dead to destroy the last enemy death and remove every obstacle from a happy future. I would go so far to say, from what I've seen in this chapter and what I know from the rest of the New Testament, that the essence, the essence of the new person, born again in Christ by the power of God, the essence of the new person is that we relentlessly hope in what God can do and put no hope in what man can do. That's the essence of the new creation, the new person. Verse 4, Peter underlines the certainty and the greatness of this future by saying that we newborn children have an inheritance which he gives four adjectives to. It is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and reserved or kept or guarded in heaven. So the point is that God has put out there in the future a magnificent inheritance, and Peter bends over backwards to say the characteristic of it is that it's going to be there. It's not going to perish. It's not going to be spoiled. It's not going to fade or become less as you wait for it and pass through sufferings on the way to it. Nobody will steal it because God is guarding it. It's there. The point is hope in it. And then verse 5 underlines it again by saying, not only is that inheritance being guarded out there, but you hopers in it are being guarded here. You are being protected by the power of God through faith. In other words, God is going to work with sovereign power to make sure that your faith doesn't peter out and you lose your reward in the end. He will keep us. So he keeps the inheritance and he keeps those who are hoping in the inheritance. Therefore, hope. Keep on hoping. Verse 7, he points out the fact that we ought to hope because our faith is going to be tried, but it isn't perishable. And we know that because he contrasts it with gold. Gold is tried, put through the fire, and gold is perishable. Contrast, your faith is not perishable. I won't let it perish. I promised that in verse 5. And therefore, I'm going to put it through refining fire as well. But it's going to last because it's not perishable like gold is perishable. You can burn gold to nothing if you have a fire hot enough. Faith will not be like that. Therefore, hope, hang on. Your faith will endure. God is working for you. Verse 9, same thing. The outcome of your faith will be the salvation of your souls. The same point as verse 5. So hope. Don't give up that faith that has that great salvation waiting for you out there. Verses 10 to 12 were interesting. The point of verses 10 to 12, we argued, was that the prophets of old, the greatest of all people, and angels in heaven, the greatest of all created beings, perhaps, not sure whether we are a little less than angels or a little less than God, last Sunday's text, <laughs> we will judge the angels, it says. So are we or angels higher? I'm just not sure. At any rate, the angels 
up there in heaven with no sin. In that way, they're superior to us. And the prophets back there wanted to see this hope-filled gospel message and reality that we now see. And they didn't see it. The angels desire to stoop down and look into it. The point being, this message of hope that I'm laying out in chapter 1, Peter says, is so great, prophets wanted to see it and angels love to look into it. So hope in it. That's the end of the first 12 verses. And there hasn't been any command yet. It's just exultation in hope. Now you get to the commands. And there are four of them. The fourth one we look at today. Let me mention the other three. Verse 13, the first commandment is hope in God. or Hope in the grace that is being brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. If you see a few other words around there, like gird up your loins and so on, that look like commands to you, those are all participles in the Greek supporting the main imperative, which is hope fully in God. There are only four imperatives in this chapter. And that's why I'm picking each of them out for a sermon. So that one was hope fully. You've heard all these reasons for hope. So hope. The next commandment is found in verse 15, namely, be holy as the one who called you is holy. So the first one is be hopeful in God. And the next one is be holy like God. If you hope in God, you can't be indifferent to whether you love Indifferent to whether you love what he loves, which is what holiness is, loving what God loves. The third commandment is a jarring one. You remember it? Verse 17 at the end of the verse. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. You might say, well, my goodness, what does that have to do with hope? Remember? And the connection was made by noting the support for it in the following verse. Conduct yourselves in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold, but, as verse 19 says, you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Now, just let's get this now. Fear because you've been redeemed by the blood. Fear because you've been redeemed by the blood. And the answer we gave to the relationship that has to hope is simply this. The greater the ransom paid, the more fearful it is to live in a way that brings contempt upon the ransom. The more you live like the future God bought for you and the ransom he paid for you are small things, the more contempt you bring upon them and the more fear should be struck into your heart. Therefore, in a kind of indirect way, hope is being elevated because he's saying, fear not hoping in God. Hoping in God is what magnifies his future. Hoping in Jesus is what magnifies his blood. If you don't hope in Jesus, you belittle his blood and you belittle his future. And therefore, we should be afraid of doing that. Therefore, conduct yourselves in fear because you have so much reason to hope. And you should fear not living hopefully. Fear should drive us ever again away from holding the blood in contempt. Which brings us now to today's message. The fourth commandment, be hopeful, be holy, be fearful, fourth, be loving. I think it's simply a spelling out in specific ways of be holy. 
holy. You read 1 Thessalonians 3.12. It says, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another in order that you might be found holy at the revelation of Jesus. Holiness and love are interwoven realities, overlapping. The command in 22 is fervently love one another from the heart. And what I said was that the most important teaching of this text is the power to do that. The power to love comes from hoping in God. Let's see if this is so. Take these verses and unpack them for you. There are two reasons given for hoping or for loving in these verses. One is on the front side of the command, verse 22 at the beginning, and one is on the back side of the command, verse 23 to 25. Now, here's a picture. I'm going to work on this picture, so get it in your mind. We'll use one of these windows here. I had in my mind last night maybe a window at home, but then I thought, no, let's use a big window at church. Loving each other in the church is the lamp that should shine to the world. So let's put it up there. In the window, or this window. Supporting that lamp are two pillars. And we'll let them rest on the top level of the balcony up there and extend up maybe partway through the first triangle there and hold this lamp. They're two pillars. The lamp is fervently love one another from the heart. There are two pillars. One stands in front of the command and one stands stands after the command. Let's, let's just read them now. Pillar number one. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, there's, there's the pillar. Therefore, fervently love one another. So the first pillar is soul purifying obedience to the truth. We all see that? Since you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth, love. If you do this, you can love. If you don't do this, love falls. If you do this, love stands. So there's pillar number one. Since there is a soul purifying obedience to the truth, you can love each other. Pillar number two, on the other side of the the platform, holding up the lamp of love, is in verse 23. Love one another earnestly from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. So the pillar on the right-hand side up there is new birth by the word of God. So you've got the act of God in causing us to be born again, And you've got the act of man in obedience to that truth, purifying his heart. Without those two pillars, the platform and the lamp of love fall in the church. And so if at Bethlehem we want to love each other earnestly from the heart, these two pillars have to stand. If they fall, love falls. 
let's look at this. You might ask yourself, I thought you said um, that hope was the power to love. And I didn't even hear the word hope in those two pillars. In fact, the word hope isn't in these verses. So why did you, why did you say that hope or hoping in God is the power to love each other? That's the question I have to answer now. Where, where in the world did I get that? Where is it in these two pillars? Are they hope? Are those pillars hope? Let's take the second pillar first. In fact, we'll spend most of our time here with this second pillar. The question here in this second pillar that starts with verse 23 and goes to the end of verse 25 is not simply new birth. The question here is, what does he emphasize about new birth? What's the stress? What's the, what does he dwell on? What does he say over and over again in these verses 23, 24? And 25. Well, let's look. Verse 23. You have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable. Peter loves that word. <laughs> he loves that word. Verse 3. Our inheritance is not perishable. Or verse 4. Our inheritance is not perishable. Verse 7. Faith is not perishable. Verse 18. Uh, the ransom is not perishable. And now the word is not perishable. What's the point? It lasts and lasts. Well, what's the point of that? Hope. If the word of God by which you were born again dies, you die. Jesus said, we live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. If those words someday die, if they cease to be true, if they cease to have power, we're dead. If they live forever, if those words go on and they're imperishable, we, carried by them, standing on them, are imperishable. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. He defines this imperishable seed as the living and abiding word of God. Now, there they are again. Why does he choose the word living and abiding? Hope. He's stressing it again. First, he says imperishable. Then he says living and abiding. It doesn't stop. It lasts. It goes on and on. He keeps going. He's not done yet. Verse 24, he brings in Old Testament support for his main point. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. The flower falls off. But the word of the Lord abides forever. This is the word which was preached to you. Do you see why I think pillar number two is God's work to create hope? Because of all the things that he could have stressed about the word of God by which we have been born, he could have said it's a true word. He could have said it's a powerful word. He could have said it's an infallible word. But he says it's an imperishable word. It's a living and abiding word. And it's not like grass and flowers. It abides forever. Why does he say that three times? Because the point of this chapter is hope in God. His word will not fail you. It will not stop being there for you. It will last and last and last and last. And everything else goes but God and his word. And those 
stand on it. The ransom is part of the gospel that's proclaimed here. The resurrection is part of the gospel proclaimed. The keeping power of God is part of the gospel proclaimed. The inheritance of God is part of the gospel proclaimed. You see at the end of verse 25 there, this word that he's talking about is the gospel preached to you. And it's chapter 1 of 1 Peter. If that word is in your life, if that word has given you life, your life will be like the word. It holds up the lamp of love on one side. The new birth by the word which does not fail. We should ask, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about stressing the permanence of the word in relation to us who love? And I think the big deal is this. If you are born by a seed, you're born by somebody's seed, you, you have the character of that seed. If we are born by the seed, the word, we have the character of that word. And that's why he stresses it's imperishable. It's living. It's abiding. It's not like grass and flowers. And therefore, you who were born by it and participate in its nature and are upheld by it are that way. You last. You're imperishable. You're living in your new birth. You will last. You're not like the flower and like the grass. You won't die. Which all translates in my mind into hope. Hope in God and his word. How does that work in relation to love? We'll see this again and again in first Peter. You can really see it in chapter three, verses eight, nine. Let's just stay here. How does it work when you are by the act of God upon your life and his sovereign everlasting word given hope? How does that produce love? One way is this. One of the great obstacles to love is fear that if you pay the price of love, you won't get the flower of the world. I mean, the flowers of the world are very pretty. Money is pretty and power is pretty and sex is pretty and reputation is pretty and leisure is pretty and comfort is pretty. The world has lots to offer. It's a lot of flowers out there. There are grassy meadows in the world that are tremendously attractive. And this feeling rises up in our hearts, if you pay the price to love, You won't get as many flowers. You won't get as much grass. And therefore, we resist loving. If you endure wrong meekly, if you renounce boasting, don't call attention to yourselves. If we spend time and energy supplying the needs of others without fretting over our own. If we risk making necessary reproofs that are almost surely to be interpreted as unloving. If we receive reproofs without animosity and defensiveness. If we cover a multitude of sins and put away our list of grievances. 
If we rejoice when others prosper while we don't. If we bless those who curse us and do good to those who despise us. If we love each other earnestly from the heart, the fear is we won't get any flowers. Our grassy fields will turn brown on us. And the way we are freed from that fear is to hear God say, the flower falls and the grass fades. But my word that gave you life lasts forever and leads to an inheritance that is unfading, imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. You are free. Go ahead, pay the price. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter whether you get the flowers. If you're born of God, you are alive. And you will last forever. I think that's the connection that Peter wants us to feel. And that's why that pillar up there, I think, is a pillar of God-wrought hope. Even though the word hope isn't mentioned. Let's look just briefly at the other pillar. Verse 22 at the beginning. Since you have in obedience to the truth, and the truth there, I believe, is the truth of the gospel, our inheritance, our wonderful ransom, God's keeping power in our lives. If, since you have in obedience to that truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, therefore, fervently love. So over there on that side, you have a God-wrought new birth unto hope. And over here on this side, the pillar is not first a God-wrought new birth, but a human-wrought response to what God has wrought through the new birth, namely obedience to the truth. Now, what's that? I would argue that's faith. You have cleansed your heart by obedience to the truth. Acts 15.9 says, God cleansed their hearts by faith. The gospel demands faith. Therefore, obedience to the gospel is faith. And faith is hope. Faith is in the future that God is providing, faith in all these truths of chapter 1 means hoping. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So I think the pillar of verse 22 is also hope. It is a soul-purifying hope in the Word of God. So I asked this last question. What's the dirt What's the dirt in my heart that in response to God's sovereign work of causing me to be born again through his everlasting, unshakable word, what's the dirt that I now push out of my heart, clean out of my heart by responding in faith and hope 
to that truth of the gospel? And I think the answer is the dirt is hoping in flowers and grass. The dirt is loving grass and loving flowers. And it gets pushed out by a superior hope and a superior love. I now hope in the word of God that lasts forever. The flower falls, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord abides forever. If you now hope in God and his word, what starts to happen to those lesser hopes where we were getting our satisfaction and getting our joy and trying desperately to content ourselves is that they get pushed out by this superior hope in God. That's the way we purify our hearts. We purify our hearts by trusting the promises of God that will last forever. So let me paint the picture one last time and we're done. I think the Bible says that the goal of all teaching is love. 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our charge is love. It's interesting that it says that flows from a pure heart. So there's a pillar of purity there, but let me start over here. There's love up there, shining out the window of Bethlehem, I pray, called fervently love one another from the heart. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds. That's love. Supporting that love is a pillar on this side which is God's sovereign, gracious, initiative-taking new birth. He does it. He caused us to be born again, verse 3. And he does it by the agency of the Word of God. And what he characterizes about this Word is that it lasts forever. It's imperishable. It's not like the flowers and grass that we hope in. And therefore, it makes us imperishable and we can have strong, God-wrought hope. Over here is the application. This other pillar is the application of that sovereign work of new birth. We see God's word moving in on us. He opens our eyes to its beauty and its permanence. And he causes us to embrace it, trust it, hope in it. And when we do that, we purify our hearts because all the lesser hopes and all the lesser loves begin to get pushed out. And the dominant hope is hope in God and all that he plans for us and hope in him as a great counselor so that we know how to live. And a soul purifying pillar is on this side. God's work and your response upholding the lamp of Love. May God do it now, and may we respond now. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, as we close and the prayer team stand here at the front, ready to pray love into our hearts, I ask that you would do a creative work. Now, there's some in this room who are not born again but who right now are sensing the spiritual power, truth, and beauty of the Word of God, the Gospel. And I pray that you would so effectively work that they would not push it out, 
and that you would guard Satan from plucking the seed off the path of their lives, that you would let the soil be deep and good and not let any worldly cares strangle this little word. Oh, God, may it abide and be imperishable and be stronger than all the hopes that they have in the flowers and grass of the world. Create, Lord, new people for yourself right now. And may those of us who've known this work for many years have our hopes rekindled and our hearts freshly cleansed and our love for one another awakened. So knit us together in such a way that there would be a lamp shining till Jesus comes. In his name I pray. Amen.